I believe every single one of us has been given a mission. I don't think we're here by happenstance. I don't think we're here by chance. I believe that God has a divine design for every single one of us because sometimes it really does feel like you're living a roller coaster, but we get to get off and we get to hold on to a firm foundation and that's the Word of God. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. This week, we celebrate a special landmark, our 300th episode. Many thanks to you, our listeners, for coming back to our show week after week to hear the stories of real people, just like yourself, who have found hope and peace in the Word of God and in Jesus Calling. For this very special episode, we have three guests who have all experienced their share of scars from the hard parts of life, but have found a way to see their scars as badges of honor and they recognize how God has strengthened them through their pain so that they can reach others with his message of love and healing. We're talking with NFL and MLB star, Tim Tebow, singer, Mary Clayton, and actor, Dean Cain. Let's start things off with Tim Tebow. Hey guys, I'm Tim Tebow. God gave me a platform from sports. I feel like my biggest mission and calling is so much different and more important than a game would ever be. I think it's to love Jesus and love people, but I think even more specific than that, it's to fight for people that can't fight for themselves. My parents were missionaries and still are, and I was a baby of five, I have four older siblings, and really my first memories were about sports, about trying to win. But then I also was like, I want to be a Navy SEAL, a cowboy, a preacher, all these other things. And uh, I was just very driven and competitive and I loved it. And it was something that my parents encouraged and embraced, but was also so cool is they never tried to diminish it. My drive and competitiveness, they just helped steer it, which I'm so grateful for, is they never tried to diminished the way God made me. Even from an early age, I think sports and my walk with the Lord were so intertwined. And even from my first sporting activity, playing baseball right down the street at Normandy Baseball Park, and I was on the White Sox. And I had number 35, just like my favorite player, Frank Thomas. And After the first game, I was super arrogant. And the next day at church, I wanted to tell everybody how I did, how many home runs I hit, you know, and like people care how a five-year-old did in T-ball. But what was cool is my parents used that already to start helping us by helping, I mean, making us memorize scripture. And I remember the first verse my parents made me memorize as a five-year-old boy, the greatest among you will be a servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And... I didn't understand it, but my parents knew that I was so competitive and I wanted to play and I loved it. And so they instilled a rule for me and my siblings that before we played a sporting activity that we'd have to memorize scripture verses and for me primarily on humility. And so before we would play, we had to memorize these and quote them to my dad and he would make them have to be word for word. And he was super strict on it too. And it was crazy along the way, all of a sudden you didn't even realize that they were impacting you until all of a sudden years down the road and you would think about it. And then that word that they made us hide in our heart, God would bring it back to our head at different moments. If I didn't know what God says about me, then it would be so easy to 
get caught up with the highs and the lows and one day I could be here and the next day I could be here and in the same year I was voted one of the most popular athletes in America and I was cut. So in that same year, am I going to be at the high or am I going to be at the low? But I'm so grateful that when I hold on to God's truth, I don't have to be at either because I wasn't either one of those. I was who God says I am. And I'm so grateful for that along the way. When you look at what the Bible has to say about our lives, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, like fearfully meaning awesome and wonderfully meaning unique and set apart. So if you think about the seven wonders of the world, why are they different? Well, because they're unique, they're set apart, they're different than every other thing. We're more unique than they are. We're more set apart than they are. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are unique, we are set apart. But we are here to love God and love people. And He has made it possible through the blood of the cross to have a mission possible life, one that truly counts. Not one that, hey, is about one day, but one that is about this day. This day, it is a chance to make our life count. It's not the easiest thing, and people ask me all the time, like, how do I know what my mission is? How do I know what my calling is? How do I know what my purpose is? And I always start with the same thing. I don't know. But then I'll encourage them, have your eyes ever been open to a need, to a problem, to a people group, to a unique situation? And has your heart ever been pricked to want to do something? Because if so, if those two things have happened, gosh, I mean, that might be God saying, hey, I want you to go meet this need. I want you to go love this person. I want you to go help in this area. I want you to problem solve. I want you to create a solution. And that's where we can't listen to emotions. We got to go back to our convictions is when God pressed upon our heart, when God opened our eyes to that problem and going back to the mission when we believe God gave it to us and continuing to hold fast. That's why I think mission statements are important. That's why I believe non-negotiables are important. And most importantly, God's truth is important. And we got to hold firm to all of that because if not, it's so easy to have mission drift. You know, and so there's so many things that I believe that we got to go back to, to stay firm on the mission that God has called us to. I've gotten caught up in it so many times in my life, those emotions, and I've gotten caught up in thinking that a game matters more. I'm going to speak at the Omni that's attached to the Cowboys Training Center, and uh, it's a night I'm getting ready to go present the gospel there, but I get a tour around the Cowboys facility, and it's nicer than any team that's facility I ever played for. And I gotta tell you, when I'm walking around, I'm thinking, man, if I could have just played for this team. Man, why, God, why wouldn't you let me do this? This would have been amazing. This would have been awesome. And you know what's filling my heart? Pride, bitterness, envy. I wish, I wish, man, God, why couldn't this be the plan you had for me? Why couldn't, this would have been unbelievable. Like I would have told people about you. This would have been awesome. And the whole time I'm walking around, I'm seeing all of this. And it's so easy to get caught up in those emotions because they speak really loud. That's where truth has to speak louder. I think one of the things that I really appreciate about Jesus Calling and Jesus Listens is that it does remove so many barriers. It's something that's easy, it's accessible, it's encouraging. People pick it up and they find truth and they find encouragement and it can help lead them to the next step of their walk with Jesus and their faith journey. And I just really believe and I so want the church to do this, but is remove the barriers, is remove the no's. And I think one way that the, we as the church need to do that is to be on the same team, to be on the same page. It doesn't mean that we can't have disagreements. I think that's okay. 
It's just we can't put those disagreements above Jesus, above our mission, above our calling, above loving the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. That is what we're supposed to do. I also believe that's iron sharpening iron. But iron sharpening iron is not above Jesus' mission and above Jesus' calling for our lives. We have to put that first and we have to put the other in its place. That needs to happen. And I want it to happen, but it can't come one. And so I want us as a church, let's rally instead of fighting over who wears ties and who doesn't, instead of fighting over how we worship and how we don't, like let's come together and let's live out the Great Commission and let's live out loving God and loving people. You know, I believe convictions are rooted in truth and I think they're also rooted in how God has pricked your heart, you know, and what He's asked you to do. And for me, that being really to to fight for people with special needs, to fight for people that are being trafficked, to fight for those that have been abandoned, to fight for those that are being persecuted. Like specifically for me, I really believe God has touched my heart for that. He's saying, I want you to go help them. I want you to go meet that need. I want you to go to where they are. And that's why a big part of, of our mission here is to be with people in crisis, chaos, and darkness. To be with people in their worst day, not their best day. We can take heart when it's hard. We can take heart when we have people that are criticizing us. We can take heart because He overcame the world. That's why we can choose courage. Because even in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the tribulation, in the midst of the negativity, in the midst of the criticism, we know all we have to do is keep fighting because He wins the game for us. You can find Tim's latest book, Mission Possible. Go create a life that counts everywhere books are sold. Stay tuned to Mary Clayton's story after a brief message. Motherhood. It's a journey like no other, teeming with love, unparalleled dedication, and moments that pierce the very essence of your soul. It's a trek that demands to be celebrated, lauded, and embraced in its entirety. Celebrate the moms in your life this Mother's Day with two beautiful gift books, Jesus Calling for Moms by Sarah Young and Grace for the Moment for Moms by Max Licato. These heartfelt devotionals will remind the moms in your life just how special they are. Jesus Calling for Moms and Grace for the Moment for Moms are available now where all books are sold. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for a special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. Our next guest is singer and actress Mary Clayton, who blazed a trail for backup singers in the 60s and 70s with her memorable vocal additions to major artist hits like The Rolling Stones' Give Me Shelter and Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama. Mary enjoyed many years of being a working backup vocalist, lending her voice behind the scenes, and also had a solo career. 
As she looked toward the second half of her life, Mary planned to step out once more on the solo stage, but a horrific accident in 2014 threatened to steal her dream. She describes how she leaned on God in this time and what inspired her latest album, Beautiful Scars. Hi, this is Mary Clayton, and I am a singer, an actress, a writer, a child of the Most High, and a survivor. My mother was a chef in the French quarters in New Orleans because I'm from New Orleans. And my dad was a minister. So we lived in New Orleans until I was eight years old. My baby brother got very ill from the dampness there. And the doctor told my mom, if you don't get him out of this city, within a year, he won't be with us anymore. So we left, and I had an aunt that lived here in Los Angeles. My Aunt May, she was my mother's baby sister. And my aunt said, oh, you come and bring those children. So we came to California. I'm so glad. I'm so glad my mother made that decision. I'm so glad she made that decision because this is where my career was. This is where my destiny lied. It was right here in Los Angeles. When I was going into the fifth grade, I had a teacher, his name was Richard Stillian, and he came to my mother, he and my mother had a meeting, and he told my mom, Mary's really, really talented, and I have a great friend of mine, his name is Carl Craven, and he's a music teacher, he's a vocal coach. He coached some of the biggest in the business, and he said, I'll pay for a whole year for Mary, if you would let her take these classes, because she's going to be, she's going to be something special, he said. So I took these voices, and every Saturday, we would make a trek on the bus. My sister and I had this beautiful ride to Hollywood on the bus and to these vocal lessons. And this gentleman taught me how to breathe, how to hold a note until tomorrow. But he, he taught me skills, you know, that I still use as today, you know. My dear friend Billy Preston called me one day. He called and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm folding towels. You're folding towels, drop everything. You need to come and, I said, well, why? You need to come and sing for Ray. I said, well, Ray who? He said, Ray Charles. He was talking about Ray Charles. So of course I tried. He said, put on something really cute and come up and sing for Ray. And by the time I left, Mr. Charles gave me a, a contract for my mom, for my parents to see. He said, we'd love for you to come out on tour with us. I said, well, you have to speak to my mom and dad about that. I don't know about no tour. So he did. And I was able, with Billy, of course, to go a few months out on this tour, where I met Ray's conductor, a wonderful, wonderful man, great jazz musician, and had his doctorate in music, really a very lovely man. And two years later, we had fallen in love. So after I met Curtis, and we got, after two years, we became engaged, you know, and we uh, worked with Ray for a little while. And then we decided, you know, I spoke to Curtis, spoke to my parents. I said, you know what? I want my own band. And they looked at me and I was crazy. You want your own band? I said, I want a band this big. And I want my own group and I want to record my own records and I want to do, I want to do me. So we went about the business of getting a manager and decided to put a group together. And he wanted to put a group of girls around me, which he did, a group called the Sisters Love. And um, I worked with them for a couple of years. 
and we had a, a got a beautiful record deal with this company. I still want my own band, and I want my do my own songs. And we went to see Lou. Lou was at A and M with with Herb Alpert and Jerry Moss and Gil Friesen, and his company was called Ode O D E Records. So we went to speak to Lou, and Lou offered me a fantastic deal. And of course, we talked about it. We prayed about it. We talked about it. We talked to my parents about it. We talked to the family about it. Had a big meeting about it, you know. And of course, we prayed over it and we blessed it, of course. And we wanted God's will to be done in it, whatever it was. We wanted His will to be done, not me, not my will, but His will, because that's the way we live. So I signed my deal, and about uh, two or three weeks later. And went about the business of uh, meeting with Lou several times, and we just had a great time. In June of 2014, Mary was injured in a near-fatal car crash in LA, suffering severe trauma to both legs, resulting in a double amputation at the knees. Mary woke up after the surgery with no recollection of the accident, but knows exactly who got her through it. I have to pay homage to God. And I really need to give him honor, glory, and praise because he was the one that brought me through. Nobody or no one else. He brought me through. I didn't stay in it. He brought me through. And I'm grateful for that. And my doctors, I had the greatest doctors in the world, and they would come six deep every morning. They said, oh, Miss Clayton, it's just so good to see you. We just, you just start our day. It, they would get to the point where they would sneak me in uh, Starbucks coffee. <laughs> they said, Miss Clayton, we have some coffee for you. You got a word for us today? I said, yes, God is all there is. And there's nothing else. I said, take that with you as you go. And they would just go out and shake their heads. And they would always say, we knew, we knew Miss Mary was going to make it through because she was so positive about everything. She never spoke negative about anything, never. And of course, I had five surgeries on one leg, you know, and I was in the hospital for five months. But oh, honey, the beginning of the sixth month, <laughs> I came home. I was, so, I was so glad to come home. <laughs> I was so glad to be in my home with my, you know, my family and everybody was holding it down while I, and Lou and every, it was just wonderful. I've been knocked down, I've been kicked down, but faith, this is the part I like, but faith brought me back and I'm just standing here now. So these are beautiful scars that I have in my heart, but it's beautiful truth that I've made it this far. Every hurt I've endured, every cut and every bruise, I went proud like a badge. I'm praying for peace. I'm praying for love. I'm praying for people to have joy. I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to comfort these people because they need to be comforted. So I'm, I'm hoping that the music that I'm doing will comfort people, you know, just comfort them and, and help them to know that, that God is still here. He hasn't left us. You know, he's still here. We're still in the palm of his hands. Yes, an instrument of his peace. I want people to be able to look at me and say, there she goes. There's peace. There's love. There's joy. And if I have to do it through the gift that he's given me, so be it. I'll give it. I'll give it. And I'll give it with joy and with honor and with gladness in my heart. 
To learn more about Mary Clayton, please visit maryclayton.com. And you can find her album, Beautiful Scars, wherever you get your music. Stay with us for a special bonus guest as we celebrate our 300th episode. We'll be hearing from actor Dean Kane. Dean Kane is one of the most well-known TV stars of the 90s, stepping into the spotlight for his role as Superman in Lois and Clark. Over the years, he's become a regular on the Hallmark Channel and appeared in several films, many of which are faith-based. Dean shares about the ups and downs of Hollywood, choosing fatherhood over bigger fame and fortune, and about his latest movie, No Vacancy. Hey, everybody. I'm Dean Kane. I'm an actor, director, producer, filmmaker, and father. So I was raised in the hard scrabble streets of Malibu, California. It was a rough, rough childhood growing up, going to the beach, surfing, <laughs> doing all those things. I, I was born in Detroit, Michigan, but my mom moved out to California when I was three years old. By the time I was five, I grew up in Malibu. Malibu was the most idyllic place you could ever grow up as a child. We literally would go to the beach every day, surfing, running around. We actually lived in a trailer park, which people were like, what, you live in Malibu in a trailer park? I grew up in the world of film with my father being a director and, and writer and my mother being an actress. And all I wanted to do was go to school and uh, play sports, which is what I did for the longest period of time. So I grew up going to the beach with kids and friends, Sean Penn, Chris Penn, Rob Lowe, Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez. All our families were in the film business. I didn't think of it any differently than if your family was in the construction business. Everybody did this. I thought the entire world grew up that way. We weren't a very um, religious family growing up. We would go to church for Christmas and Easter and a couple other things like that. Uh, but uh, it didn't play a huge part of my life growing up until I started getting into college. And in fact, in college, I started taking religion courses, just trying to search and find my way to faith. I wasn't against faith, but I wasn't, I, I didn't really know what it was. I was too young. And it wasn't until my son was born when I was in my 30s, where it really, really hit home. And I think being a parent changes you because you're no longer the most important thing. And then you start to sort of understand the whole idea behind faith and behind God because you're living it now. Now someone is more important than you. Becoming a father was really the biggest part of my more embracing my faith. So I went to Princeton University I, and it was a great school. And the reason I went to Princeton was that I, I knew that football and and Athletics couldn't last forever, and the average lifespan in the NFL was three years. And I thought, you know, I, I might get a shot. I was an All-American football player at Princeton. I got a lot of notoriety because I broke some NCAA records, and that got me a look at the, at the NFL. So I signed with Buffalo Bills. It was actually a great situation for me. The way they played their defenses, the way they set up everything, I was like, this is perfectly made for me. This is going to be great. And then my knee, I hurt my knee, and it wasn't getting better. It was just sort of this nagging thing. And I thought, this can't be a this can't be a real problem until they probably brought me in and said, you have to have surgery. And that's kind of the kiss of death in the NFL, especially for undrafted free agent. And I didn't realize that. And it never really got 100% better. I was still able to be a good athlete and run around and do everything, but not at that level. I felt like if I had been able to play in a game, because it was right before the first preseason game, if I had been able to play in a game, I always feel like they would have done more to hang on to me. But uh, even though they would have, I would have gone back in for another surgery. They would have really tried to sort of nurture me back, but they didn't. And then uh, 
the two things that I had always done well, which was schoolwork and playing sports, football being the, the best of the bunch, were, were gone all of a sudden. I was like, whoa, um, I had to sort of start at the bottom now again. I was watching what my friends were doing. Again, I went to Princeton, so they were going to New York City in the summertime and becoming investment bankers and wearing a suit and being in 95 degree heat in New York in a suit in the summertime is not lovely. And my dad was off making a movie, Young Guns, and I went off and looked at his set. It's like, this is much more fun than putting on a suit and running around in New York City. So I, I started making plans to become a, a, a film writer and actor and, and filmmaker. And it was in my head, but uh, I didn't think it would be thrust upon me so quickly. So I started at the very bottom, you know, going on commercial auditions with four other guys. All right, everybody eat these Doritos and act like you're dancing at a party. And I was like, my gosh, wow, how the mighty have fallen quickly. And that's the thing you, <laughs> you have to put your ego in check. And it was very humbling to put it mildly, but I, I started doing a lot of commercials. Then I got some guest starring roles on some different shows, including Beverly Hills 90210. And then I had my shot to play Superman. And that was amazing. And there was so much pressure on you and so much focus. It got to the point where I was, I'd be asleep at night and I'd be going, wait, no, no, no more pictures. No more pictures. Like just that, I, it literally happened to me because there's no way to prepare someone for that. That sort of fame and being under the spotlight. It's tough with today's world where everything you do is under a microscope and social media and those things. Uh, I'm glad those didn't exist when I was a kid. So that was my journey to playing Superman. And it was great fun and wonderful, but it, it, it took, even for me, it took a big adjustment to live life under that microscope. I'm a single father. It was a very difficult time for me. So I was really, really limited in the projects I could take and the roles I could play. I wouldn't be able to take a series and I had to back out because I would not risk being, not being with my son. There's just no possible way. And I do remember being so upset and my little kid coming to me and going, dad, it's going to be okay. God has other plans for this. And I was, it was shocking, you know, for him to do that. And it was, I'm adopted. My dad adopted me when I was four years old. And I look back at my life and I said, there's all these moments. If I didn't have my dad in my life, there's so many wrong turns I would have made. And there's some turns that I was making that were wrong. And he corrected that journey, sometimes with a firm hand, sometimes it was a harsh word, but I needed both. And I just realized where I would be without my dad was nowhere. I could have been finished and done by now. And I realized that then when I was a father, there's no way I'm not gonna be there for my son. I did the movie God's Not Dead when my son was in high school and the whole school went to watch it. And the kids knew me because I was around. I coached, I was around everything, I was always there. That's the one thing that I made sure I was as a father, was there. My dad was always there. When anybody asked me about as a father, like, well, what's your best advice for a father? I said, be there. That's the best advice I can give, just be there. No Vacancy is a real story. It's based on a real true story about Cecil Johnson and his, it's really his journey. I play uh, Cliff Lee, who's a wonderful guy. I got to meet him and what a sweetheart of a man. Sean Young plays a reporter and she gets stuck in this podunk little town in, in Florida and has to report on us trying to buy a, um, an old hotel for the homeless. Cause the, at the time the homeless crisis was really based right there in where we were in Florida. And now of course the homeless crisis is right here where I'm based in Los Angeles. I mean, 
California has half of the country's homeless population. It's incredible when you look around here and it's awful. So in this film, because the reporter writes a big story about what we're trying to buy, what we're trying to do, it gets a lot of people's attention. And of course, her main subject becomes Cecil Johnson. T.C. Stallings plays Cecil Johnson and and T.C. is a great guy, fantastic actor and is amazing in this. And just like in It's a Wonderful Life, the entire community hears about this and comes together to support this ministry, support this this homeless shelter, and and support Cecil Johnson. And it's lovely, but there are some tough spots in it. Uh, as any journey, there are there are some tough things that happen, especially to Cecil's character, that make you appreciate the journey. And it's very real. So anytime you're struggling, and everybody struggles. And, and people so you know people look at my life they go oh your life is so good it's so easy everything is just wonderful and no, and no it's never the case for anyone i humble myself before god every single day because life itself is humbling and you know i have a lot of conversations with god and they happen almost daily we we've, we've spoken quite a bit today there's lots of things that i need guidance and strength on and there's so much going on with me professionally right now sometimes i can get a little lost but i don't i don't know i just feel like there's always a moment in every day, whether it's the beginning of the day. I mean, I, I started doing this, I don't know how long ago I started doing this, but you know, people will wake up in the morning and they go to their phone, first thing, go to their phone. I will wake up and I'll think of five things to be thankful for. And I'll thank God for those five things before I start any part of my day. Even that right there grounds me in humility and really sets the tone for a day. We can all go on through and say all the things that are tough for us, but you know, to say five things that you're thankful for every morning after you get up kind of sets me off on a positive tone. So I just, I find that to be a wonderful, a wonderful practice. You can see Dean in the movie, No Vacancy, which premieres on May 9th. To purchase tickets at one of 700 theaters where the movie will be showing near you, visit novacancymovie.com. If you'd like to hear more stories about how God can use us through our scars, check out our interview with Michelle Wilbur Christensen. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we hear from Jean Lakin, a survivor of the Rwandan genocide, and now nonprofit founder and author. Through prayers and tears, Jean tells us her story of learning to forgive those who took everything away from her. God, you know, created us with a choice. So people can choose to do good. People can choose to do evil work as well. So there's no way of resenting God because he created these people who chose to do the evil work. It wasn't God with machetes and clubs killing people in Rwanda. It was the people that he had created who went away from his love and decided to hurt and harm other people. Want to hear more inspirational stories of people who have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then subscribe today to the Jesus Calling Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please be sure to leave a review, which helps us reach and inspire others with these stories. Plus, if you like seeing our guests as well as hearing them, you can find video interviews available on our YouTube channel at youtube.com, Jesus Calling Book, on Facebook, and on the Jesus Calling Instagram page.